I'm Eddie Rowley, and you're listening to My Country Life, a podcast that takes you backstage and into the real lives of Ireland's country music kings and queens. Each podcast in this series features a country star opening up the doors to their past and taking us on their personal journey into the spotlight. Along the way, they reveal their highs and lows, happiness and heartaches, and their struggle to find success. Here we meet Nathan Carter, a young Liverpool singer who shot the fame with a song called Wagon Wheel. Nathan is of Irish descent, and he reveals that he was born in Liverpool by a twist of fate and as a result of a robbery. He also has an exotic connection through his paternal grandmother, Amina, a princess from Yemen. Nathan grew up steeped in music, performing on top of the pops as a child and winning an All-Ireland Fla for singing. Here he talks family, music, struggles, success and love, not to mention the powerhouse woman who drove his career, Nan McCoy. I'm Eddie Rowley and this is My Country Life, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So Nathan, welcome. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. You're sitting there in your in your beautiful home in the lovely Fermanagh countryside. I am. It's very quiet today now. Not much going on. Raining as usual, unfortunately. But you're the you're the lord of your own manor. <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which is a you know an indication of where you are now. Uh, you know, and so let's find out where you came from. What what the journey was, uh, and. There was a there was a time when it seemed like uh, you could have been born maybe in America, had it not been for uh, uh, an incident that took place with your uh, your great great grand your great grandmother. Mm, Winnie, yeah, Winnie Winnie O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that my mum's side of the family obviously originates from Northern Ireland, a little place called Warren Point, um, and uh, back many years ago they decided that they would head off to America for a better life. Like many an Irish family back then were struggling and, you know, this dream of America seemed so much um, of, of better things, you know, than where they were at. So they decided to get a boat to Liverpool to get the big ship to the States, got to Liverpool and got robbed on the boat over uh, of all their money and their possessions and then ended up staying in Liverpool. Um, and then my... my uh, my great-grandmother obviously set up there in Liverpool and uh, had 10 children. Had a few of them before they got to Liverpool, but had a few more in Liverpool. Um, then, of course, my mum was born and then I was born after that. So, uh, yeah, that's how we ended up in Liverpool. So, when he met James O'Neill? When, when he met Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy O'Neill um, and they, they uh, set up camp in Liverpool after being robbed on the boat. And he had a, a Cork connection, had he? He was Cork originally and, and yeah. Me. When he was uh, County Down, and as a as a as a songwriter, that later inspired you to to, 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 write, to write a song about write a song called Winnie O'Neill. Yeah, it was on the not the last yeah. album, the one before. So it was a, a just an anecdote of really what happened for the. It's kind of a cool story, though. I suppose not many people get robbed on a boat and then end up having no money to get to America. You know, so um, yeah, so. But realistically, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here. My mum wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. So it's kind of a how, how things, you know, in life happen that lead to other things happening. So it's just yeah, coincidence. A twist of fate. Indeed. Yeah. 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 And and and, and from there, your, 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 your nan emerged as well, who will, will also be a very uh, a big figure in your life all through your life up to this present day. So we, 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 yeah. we chat about, about, about your nan later on. But um, you, you grew, you, uh, when you were born... Uh, you were expected to be a girl because it was basically all girls in the family up to that point. Yeah, Mum, mum's one of three, uh, one of three girls, Siobhan, Una and Noreen. Uh, you wouldn't have guessed they were from Irish Irish descent, would you? Siobhan, Una and Noreen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so mum just said, oh, it's bound, bound to be a girl, you know. But I was the first um, grandchild in my mum's uh, side of the family and the first child in, in mum and dad's in our house, you know. Um, so obviously spoiled rotten as a kid, first child and first grandchild and um, doted on every minute of the day and um, I think it's stuck with me ever since. Um, I'm just, Jake, if you ask me brother Jake, who's, who's golden balls, that's what I get called in our house, golden balls. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm the one who gets spoiled rotten, you know, so um, 
<laughs> but I'd like to think nowadays I spoil them as well, you know, so it works both ways. They spoil uh, me, now I spoil them. And they even gave you a name which uh, translates from Hebrew as God's gift. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, yeah, yeah. yeah it means yeah. Gi- yeah, gift from God, yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. believe it, to be honest, but anyway. You, you ended up with uh, Nathan, Kane, Tyrone, Anthony Carter. Numerous names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was the first grandchild, I got, um, my granddad said he had three girls, obviously, mum being one, and he said he always wanted a son, and he, if he got a son, he was going to call him Tyrone because he loved the actor Tyrone Power. I, I don't know of Tyrone Power. It's way, way before my time, but um, yeah. he loved the name. Um, n- not necessarily the county. Everyone thinks it's to do with the, the county, but it's not. It's about the uh, Hollywood actor, about the actor uh, Tyrone Power. And uh, my dad wanted Kane, and my mum wanted Nathan. So I ended up with Nathan Kane, Tyrone. Got to the christening, and the, the priest said, "There's no saint's name in there." And the mum says, "Well, sure, we'll go with your name, uh, Father." And his name was Anthony. So <laughs> I got Nathan Kane, Tyrone Anthony. And then for my confirmation name, I took my, my two granddads are both called, we're both called John. So Nathan Kane, Tyrone, Anthony, John Carter. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I ended up. <laughs> that, them names. Uh, and you have quite a colourful uh, family background because your, your, uh, your grandmother was an Arabian princess. From stock, apparently, yes. Uh, yeah. Royalty stock. Uh, I, I still need to do a lot more digging on this. Right. Um, but I, I kind of got bits mentioned as growing up. and. Well, your, your, your father's father, John Carter. Yeah. He, w- he was working for a builder. Was that in Liverpool? Yes, yes. And doing a job for the, 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 this wealthy Arabian man. And, and him, himself and the daughter hit it off. What was your um, grandmother called? She, she was called Aminar. Aminar was the name. Uh, and she met John, who was a, a, a poor builder, should we say, at the time. But Aminar had run away from the family or something to do with them lines. And, and, but the, the family was very wealthy and came from very good stock, you know. Originally back in, in Yemen was where they were from. Um, now, if anyone knows my brother and my sister and my dad, they're, they're kind of darker than what I would be. I go, I'm a bit brown, but they're very brown, you know. So I think that's where that that blood comes from. And um, I don't know. It's, it's not that common to have an Irish Yemen background, is it really? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and what, wasn't Jake called uh, uh, Aladdin at school? He was. He was. He was. He was quite. When you look back now, it was kind of. He was really considered. It would be called racism now, you know. Absolutely. But back then, it was just a laugh, you know. But. Yeah, he would have been. He would have been had the piss taken out from surely for for being, you know, a lot browner the skin than what some of his classmates were, you know. Yeah. Um, but they're all laughing now because he he doesn't have to go on some beds or sit outside turning <laughs> himself all the time, like the rest of us trying to get a tan, you know. Yeah. So then uh, your 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 sister came along. Yeah, Kira. She's she's the the middle child, and uh, we always say she had the middle child syndrome. She was the uh, the terror in our house. She gave my mum and dad grey hair. And, really? Um, because she was the only girl and she just, Kira has always been attracted to, I don't know, we always say she's, she just, the trouble seems to follow Kira, you know, wherever she goes, she attracts the trouble. But but no, she, she's in good, she's in a good place now and she's in great form. She's working away and, um, but, uh, but yeah, she's, um, She's a character now, but she stays out of the limelight. She she doesn't. She's a fantastic musician and a great singer, but she never was one really. She didn't want to get into the the, the be on TV or radio or anything like that, you know. So right, yeah, yeah, because nobody really knows her. She is the no, and and she she's happy like that. I think she's happy with that. To be honest, she's, yeah. Uh, let the two lads of no. Let, let the two let lads the two go lads off. And, away, yeah, 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 go off and enjoy the limelight. Exactly. Yeah. She she just um, she just bees herself and. Stays in the background, you know. Yeah, and then when Jake came along, you were already eight years old. So was he the annoying little brother? Uh, I suppose he was, but you know what? I was I was glad to have a, a younger brother as well to kind of um, to take care of in one way and to to boss about and to get me things. And he, you know, I kind of looked out for him. But uh, there was quite a bit of a gap. I suppose yeah. eight years is a is a good bit of a gap between us. So. 
you know, we, we ended up ha- having to mind him a lot of the time. But uh, now he minds us. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, no, he was he was a great lad growing up. To be fair, you know, he's um, he still is. He's he's um, he's good laugh to be around and always up for the crack and uh, good sense of humour. Just a boy of seventeen, working in the fields of green, fell in love with the newry girl. She said her name was Winnie. You spent a lot of time with your your mother's uh, uh, mother, your, your nan, and mm. and and her husband, um, John uh, Grumps. You call him. Why do you call him Grumps? Uh, he was always grumpy when I was a kid, <laughs> so we got the nickname Grumps because he was a. <laughs> we always used to say he's a grumpy bollocks, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he thankfully he's not that grumpy these days. He, he used to be grumpy because my nan used to do mad things and spend all his, their money on she'd just book a cruise for example and they'd have no money to be going on a cruise and my nan would book a suite and just <laughs> tell him and say surprise John we're going on a cruise and he'd be like where the F did you get the money from for this and I got the, I got your credit card from the, uh, from the bedside locker you know and he'd just be going off his head but he was grumpy most of the time for spending for, at me nan for spending all their money she just doesn't have a concept of money at all you know she just she lives life day to day and just believes that uh, we, we'll get by it doesn't matter we'll, we'll be fine you know she's going to pop up a lot during this conversation because she's such mm. a such a central character in, in, in your yeah. life in your life uh, and yeah. and Grumps uh, he introduced you to music as a kid Johnny Cash Dolly Parton Willie Nelson yeah, I think his favourite was really Charlie Pride and Elvis. They were the two mainstays in record-wise in the house when we were growing up. And we used to, I used to spend every week, a lot of weeknight weekends with them. And me and my granddad, he'd be sitting drinking whiskey, and I'd be sitting drinking I don't know what, I was drinking tea or something or coke all night, just listening to these old country songs, Charlie Pride, Crystal Chandeliers, and. It's an angel good morning that Elvis had come on singing Are You Lonesome Tonight and just it was kind of weird because I knew all these really old songs at the age of like three and four you know I'd be singing Are You Lonesome Tonight was my party piece for everyone when they came in the house but it was a great uh, introduction to really good music you know and good artists and um, good singers and it, it kind of I think it's it got me probably hooked on music at a very, very young age because of my granddad. I actually, I remember seeing one great photograph of you as a kid standing in front of a television, singing along to, and this is going to age this man, Daniel O'Donnell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, Nan loved Daniel as well, you see, and we we always had the the VHS tapes of Daniel. Um, And I remember probably the age of three or four, singing, there's always a fire in the kitchen with a fake... Microphone. I think it was a load of toilet roll holders stuck together. Me pretending it was Mike and singing away, and pretending I was Daniel winking at the crowd, and you know trying to be a little performer. Um, but yeah, Daniel. I wonder what the age gap is. Daniel must be. He's sixty this year, so he's double your age. So he, he's yeah. he's he's thirty years older than me. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, so he he would have been my age. No, no, he would have been probably 35, 36, whenever I was watching videos of him impersonating him, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny to look back now. And you were a real little uh, performer in the house as well, uh, charging your, your your poor aunts and uncles to come and see you perform your shows. <laughs> I used to charge in, take a price on the door, yeah. Um, so make, make, make tickets. That's that's where the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, is that how you pronounce it? Entrepreneurial <laughs> skills came in from a young age, charging ticket prices to come in and see me. Yeah. <laughs> John Carter, um, he, he he taught you some songs as well, Danny Boy and the Black Velvet Band. And- he did, yeah. He, me, me dad's dad, he played the accordion, and I think that's probably where I got the love for that at a very young age. He, he I got an accordion when I was about four, and he taught me as you say, Black Velvet Band and Danny Boy and stuff on that. And um, he was a very hard work and again, a builder, you know, and uh, I think that's where my dad got his his hard work and genes from. Um, but unfortunately, he passed away when I was 10 or 11. He had a bad accident. Now he fell down the stairs one night and um, unfortunately, he um, ended up going to hospital and then passed away in, in, in hospital, you know, but um, but I have good memories of him. And as I say, he kind of taught me my first ever tunes on on the accordion, which is is a 
is a good thing to be able to to say and to remember, you know. And your exotic Arabian uh, uh, granny on on your on your dad's side, did you have a good relationship there? Oh, we did. Yeah, she was lovely. Now she was a lovely, lovely woman, and um, uh, used to be mad into cards and card games, and she'd be at bingo three, four nights a week, and we she used to teach us card tricks and all that type type of stuff, you know. So, um, and again, she loved the music as well, so she got to see a good few of my gigs when I was 11 and 12 and 13 starting out singing in, in I was singing in like old people's homes and, and the parish centre and just doing odd gigs at the weekend and stuff and she got to see a few of them which I'm glad to say she, she did see you know yeah 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 because your, 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 your granddad miss, missed all of that and I'm sure he would have been quite 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 proud as well having given you hopefully the little start hopefully he would have been yeah yeah the start on the squeeze box yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you you the local Irish centre, of course, was was a, played a big role in, in your life as well, and your your nan was involved yeah. involved there, wasn't she? She was. She uh, ran the canteen, I think, at some stage in the in the local Irish centre, and I, I was sent down there, like my brother and sister were as well, at a very young age to learn traditional Irish music. That's where we got involved in cultus and competing at flaky holes and all that type of stuff, and. Um, that was great. Some of the friends I met when I was like five or six, I'm still friends with them now and involved in trad music. And if one thing that's happened time and time again, is just that I've met so many nice and, and like lifelong friends really through music. It just seems to be the, the thing that's always um, introduced me to people and um, introduced me to my, my bestest of friends. Uh, later on, of course, you would, you'd have your name up in lights at the local Philharmonic Hall. Uh, as a as an artist in your own right, but uh, you actually performed there at the at the age of nine. I did, yeah, yeah. I was um, I was uh, in in a choir growing up at school in the in the primary school choir and in the secondary school choir, which we did a lot of touring. But um, got performing at the Philharmonic uh, on a couple of occasions, which was a big deal then. You know, I mean, that's a, it's a venue that holds maybe fifteen, sixteen hundred people. So. Standing on a stage with that many people in the, the audience at the age of nine is, can be nerve-wracking enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, then, later on then in secondary school, uh, you were in the, the head, the head cho- chorister, is that how you pronounce it? Head chorister, yeah, yeah. At, the, at the choir in the secondary school, yeah. Uh, we, we, we did a lot of touring. We went to the States and we went to Rome and sang for the Pope, John Paul II, and... And we toured Germany and Holland and that. We literally did a lot of touring. And that was from when I was 11 to maybe 16, uh, which was great because it introduced me to, again, another, uh, to traveling from one, to being in a group, uh, to me being in charge of the group because I was the head chorister. I had to be in charge of the younger lads. And um, it kind of set me up in in the role that I'm doing now, you know, having to, to organize a band and to, organized gigs and crew and all that sort of stuff. Just just stuff has happened along the way, which has really helped and, and kind of guided me through it and, and, you know, taught me a lot of lessons along the way from when I was a kid. So kind of glad of it all, to be honest. It's uh, it's, uh, it's a long and winding road, as the Beatles say, but it's it's um, it, it all contributes, doesn't it, to the end. Yeah, you don't, you don't realise uh, what you're soaking up along the way and the experience you're, yeah. you're, you're gaining. Yeah. So this was in uh, St. Francis Xavier College in Liverpool that you were in the choir, uh, but you ended up from there uh, uh, being on the uh, top of the pro- performing on top of the pops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a band from Liverpool called The Farm and they had a hit song called All Together Now. Um, and it was released for a second time for the European Champion Cup final or something like that. You can tell I'm not into football <laughs> anyway, but it was one of them them fancy football finals that uh, England managed to get in. 2004 Euros. That was the one. Yeah. And they, they used all together now as, as the football anthem for that year. Um, I think the previous big anthem was We're Coming Home by um, Frank Skinner, was it? And Skinner and Badil. Um, but they used this one all together now, and they wanted a choir to sing on it. Well, they didn't even end up using most of the choir. I, it was just my voice, and I was a soprano at the time, so I was a, a really high-pitched singer. So if anyone can get the recording of it now, it's it, it's I can confirm it's not a female. It's actually me in the background singing away up there, you know. But uh, it was great experience, and performed on top of the pops was on all the news stations across, you know, ITV and BBC and on the front of the Times, kicking a football in, in a, 
chorister's robe at the time with my ruff and you know the the chin stuff. And good experience, you know, and great to look look back on but look back at now and, and just last, you know, because it was it was great fun. You can actually see that on, on YouTube, can't you? You can, yeah, yeah. I tried to get it deleted, but it's still up there for some reason. So <laughs> I didn't pay them enough. <laughs> Can you remember who was on top of the pops uh, that day you were on, that night you were on? Pharrell Williams, you know, the rapper. Yeah. He was on, we met him. Um, who else was on? Um, I think Peter Andre was on, but Insania was that. He could it? have been, he could have yeah. been, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was mad, I mean, to be to be sitting there at 13, 14 years old yeah. behind the stage at top of the pops, you know, with all these pop stars just literally walking about as if there was nothing, it was all normal, you know. I'll tell you who was also on it, Emma Bunton of the Spice Girls, and you were a big fan. I was, she <laughs> was my first big, um, big crush, uh, definitely had a poster or two of her up on the wall. Um, and I never got to meet her afterwards, but I ended up meeting Sporty Spice. I ended up doing a, um, she was on my TV show for uh, BBC and I and RTE, and uh, I did a duet with Sporty, but I never got to meet Baby Spice. You know? right. still, still dreaming. <laughs> the Spice Girls, I believe, were, it was that was the first album you ever bought. I think it was, yeah, yeah. I remember going to Woolworths at the time. Did you guys have Woolworths over we, here? We did, well? yeah, we did, we did. Yeah, Woolworths. Yeah. They used to sell the singles for like, I don't know, pound or two pound for a single single yeah. CD but um, yeah long gone are the days where you could buy actual physical products yeah 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 and what was it about the Spice Girls that attracted you uh, back then uh, I don't know I think yeah. it was just everybody in school that was raving about them you know yeah. uh, girls and boys all mad about Spice Girls so uh, yeah. was, that was the the in thing at the time they had a film out as well I remember buying that on VHS and watching that over and over again they were living on a a double-decker bus or something at the time. So didn't you make an appearance on that? I made an appearance in that, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> yes, there we go. I was a, I was a real-life uh, uh, journalist uh, 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 around... Uh, Jonathan Ross was was uh, was interviewing them and we were a gang of journalists uh, gathered around him and around around the girls. Right. And I got Very paid. Good. It was it made 18 million. It's one of the biggest all-time female uh, movies and uh, I was paid the princely sum of one pound. Oh, gee, no way. Be- because for, <laughs> for, for union reasons, you had to be paid. So I had to sign a contract yeah. saying, you know, I was yeah. happy to yeah. accept one pound for appearing in Spice World, the movie with Spice Girls. What did you yeah. spend it on? Come on, tell us. <laughs> oh, Reveal no. it, Eddie. I have Reveal it, it now. I have, oh. it, I have it framed on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so God. yeah, yeah. Good you, to be part of them. It was brilliant to be part of it. Absolutely, Pe- people would do would do it for nothing, and I literally, I literally did. But so you're, near, you're near enough did. Yeah. Near, near enough did. Yeah, you uh, you took part in um, a TV talent or a, a teen idol talent show as well uh, on on your way to to the country music scene. I did. It was my first and last time of taking part in um, the X Factor pop idol type show, uh, but this was a local thing in Liverpool and. Uh, I came third, and I remember me, my nan being, and my mum and dad being, oh, oh, we thought you'd do better, you know, but t- don't worry, keep on going. And, and I remember thinking there and then, well, I'm not in this to, to make, prove myself to judges anyway. If I can get gigs and make a bit of money, then I'll be happy enough. When You Say Nothing At All was a hit at the time for Ronan and um, sang a version of that. But that that wasn't really, you know, I wasn't big into singing pop. At that stage, I was still singing Garth Brooks and Charlie Pride and Johnny Cash. So, um, And the Fields of Aff and Rye and all them old Irish songs, you know. So, um, so yeah, it, it, that was a good experience again. But my first and last time at doing um, that, them type of shows. Yeah, because I often wondered why you never gave something like The X Factor a, a shot. Because that would have been in your in your day as yeah, well. Yeah, and do you know what? I'd say if if it was the time, if I had been approached at the time to do a boy band thing, I probably would have done it. You know, but I, I mightn't have had the image, or maybe the the voice wouldn't have suited. I don't know. But it, it's mad how different paths take. I mean, look at the lads in Westlife. You know, Shane and and Mark and all them lads. You know, it's just right place, right time, and whoever's in town for the audition. Generally, that you know, if they suit the bill, then they're going to get the job. So, um, you know, it it didn't. No one ever came knocking on my door. I ended up just doing the pubs, and and that's the way it went. And kind of glad it did, you know. But uh, who knows what what could have been? Yeah, the All Ireland Flag Hill was it was it was really a, a 
played a major role in your life and in, in the life of your family as well. That was your annual summer holiday in Ireland. Every year for maybe seven or eight years can continued since I was like nine or ten. I was over in Ireland for four or five weeks and the flower was the main thing. And I'd go to the college, uh, there's this, the, the teaching college called Scalatia as well, which was a week of tuition beforehand. To, you'd either take it in accordion or singing or I, I did both on different years, but uh, learned some new tunes and would go out at night and play them in the pubs and I was only you know 11 12 years old sitting in the sessions in, in main streets in Tullamore and in Enniscorthy and in Letterkenny and Ennis and you know all these towns I, I was in as a kid just and I think that's where I got the love for for one for Ireland two for the people three for the music and four for, for just that's probably why I've ended up living here because seeing that as a kid, and just everybody having fun and music and dancing and storytelling and crack. And it's just, I'd go back to Liverpool and I'd look at everybody in class thinking, you are a bunch of boring bastards, to be honest, all sitting <laughs> here like this, you know. I should be back in, in Ennis or in, you know, Kilkenny or wherever we were, you know, uh, playing trad music because I just loved it. And uh, I met so many friends, you know, and just the, the fun growing up. Great times. Real look back with seriously good memories about all them times, you know. Because you were a good musician. I mean, you'd, you'd taken formal training, hadn't you? Piano and uh, I'd done accordion. classical training to grade five and I'd played accordion since I was four. Mm. Uh, graduate every year at the accordion, I think. But um, and singing lessons I'd done up to grade eight, singing and um, sang in the choir for years. So I'd done, I'd done as much training as, as I could, apart from going on and doing a degree or doing, you know, any of that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, and, and, and it's funny, like I did all that and yet I, I never ended up using most of it. Like you don't generally, yeah. you don't use most of the theory stuff, you know, if you're actually gigging on a nightly basis, whether in the type of music I do, I don't use it, but I'm sure if you're a classically trained musician, you're going to be reading for the rest of your life. But I generally don't read music. I haven't done in 12 or 15 years, you know. But at least you understand it and you have that background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, I was glad I'd done it, you know, and, and yeah. as, all that is great experience. I would tell anybody starting out as well in music to to not just learn by ear. You've got to, you know, try and learn the music and be able to read, but you're not necessarily going to use it. Like I say, I've never used it, but um, it's always good to know that yeah. you, you've got it there. So. Yeah. And then in 2005, you won the All-Ireland uh, singing competition in, 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 in the FLA. I did, yeah, yeah. That was kind of when I hung the boots up then for com competing. Um, and um, I think they'd, my nan says they ran out of reasons to not give it to me because I'd done it for so <laughs> many years and I've been so close, you know, yeah. uh, that they, they gave it to me that year. So I was very, very pleased with that. It, it was a huge, especially coming from England, really, singing Irish trad songs. I suppose it was a bit unusual for them. Although there was a lot, there's a lot of Scottish and England English kids take part and Welsh in, in the Black Hills every year, you know, in traditional music. But um, but to win the All Island was a, as far as you can go, really, when it comes to that type of stuff, you know. So I was very honoured to win it. The songs were Aaron Grob O'Cree and the Bowron song. Yeah. Learned that from a, a, a Sligo singer called Colm O'Donnell, fantastic trad singer from Sligo. Um, and I'm, funny enough, I've always wanted to meet him since, and I never got to meet him. But I used to, we used to have his tapes and his CDs and I used to listen over and over and over again. Um, and I often wondered, does he do gigs now? And um, I must look him up sometimes, see, does he? Because I'd love to, to go and hear him sing again. And for all, for all your endeavours in, in music, you, you, you earned an award in, in Liverpool, a Young Achievers Award. Uh, and uh, I believe that at the, uh, the big event, the big dress uh, show that night, uh, you, a very famous, a young fellow who would go on to become very famous was also among the award winners, Wayne Rooney. He was on the, ta the table with us as well, Wayne Rooney, yeah, yeah. He was the young achiever in sport and I was the young achiever in music in, uh, that night. So um, I think I had more hair than him though and thankfully I still do, I think, <laughs> and it's my own. <laughs> but, uh, you, 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 didn't have yeah. to you didn't have to buy yours. I didn't have to buy mine, but to be fair now, Wayne's got a lot more money than I have to be able to buy his hair. So fair play to him, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it was yeah. uh, that was an honour as well. Yeah, for sure. So then, how did you end up being a country singer? 
Um, so when I left school then at 16, I started getting gigs in the, the pubs and clubs and um, I had been interested in country anyway through the years and I, I started listening, I'd listened to all them, them singers growing up like Charlie Pride and stuff, but then I started listening to some of the Irish lads like Jimmy Buckley and Matt Levy and these uh, great Irish type country singers and started picking up songs and, and then when I went to do the gigs that's what they wanted to hear at these clubs I was doing country clubs and then sometimes I was doing Irish centres and they wanted they, they, they used to say to me well can, can you give us three waltzes or can you give us a few jives we want to be get up and just, so I ended up learning all these Irishy country songs and um, that's what the programme developed into and was doing that for three or four years on my own just me and the keyboard and the accordion and guitar sometimes and Played the pubs and clubs. My nan used to drive me at the start because I didn't have a license. And um, used to do three or four a week. And and mum would come one night at two in the morning and my mum saying, you know, you're you're up in, in like five and a half hours. Nathan, you're up at seven o'clock to, to go to school. You can't be at this. Like, you know, and my nan was saying, well, this is, this is what he wants to do. Just let him do it, you know. So we had a big debate one night at two in the morning or three in the morning around the kitchen table and that was it. I said, I'm leaving school and just, uh, that's what I want to do. Don't want to do anything else. So luckily enough, my mum and dad were, they weren't too happy, but they were accepting of knowing that sure he's going to do what he wants to do anyway. So let him do it. So, and I was earning a living. I was, you know, coming home with three or 400 quid, which was for a 16, 17 year old lad a week, you know, three or 400 pounds to anyone. It's a lot of money. So, um, you know, they, they didn't, they couldn't really argue with me in one way, you know, because I, I I said, well, there's the diary, there's all the gigs. So so that's how I ended up leaving school and becoming a full-time professional gigging musician. And your dad uh, said, if you're going to leave school, you're going to have to do a bit of real work as well. So you went to work. He's a builder by trade. Yeah, dad's a joiner, does extensions and builds houses as well on the odd occasion. But um, so I do the gigs at the weekend and then mum and dad were like, well, you're not sitting in... in on your ass all week at home. And I said, well, I'll be practicing and I'll be learning songs. <laughs> no, you can learn songs on the building site. So I got sent out to do um, the labouring for dad for a year. I think I did nine months, don't think it lasted a year now. And then he kind of said, oh, listen, son, maybe he just knew I didn't want to be there. Like, I, yeah. I, I would do my best and um, probably wasn't the best of labourers, but um, unlike many of them on the site, I was sent you know, for the stupid stuff at the start, the long stand or the long weight and the glass hammer. That was one that got me a few times. It's there in the back of the van, you know, the glass hammer. <laughs> I can't find it. What does it look? It's glass. You know, all that <laughs> stupid stuff. So um, it, 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 it's, uh, it uh, makes the, uh, the edges a bit smoother for you later on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can survive, but, uh, if you can, if you can survive the buildings, it knocks those rough edges off you. Exactly. Yeah. And no, I'm glad I've done it. You know, and um, it definitely makes you appreciate the the music business a bit more. You know, I yeah. think whenever you when you have you done them them type of jobs when you've done real work, mm, yeah, as as my dad calls it, real <laughs> work. Yeah. yeah. And he, but he showed you good work ethic because uh, he's he's uh, quite a man, isn't he? Ah, uh, he is. Yeah. And uh, like even he was meant to have retired last year. And, he took six months off and then was <laughs> he did just he couldn't hack it, you know. So he's now back. He's got he's took on two extensions and he's doing some old woman's bathroom who lives down the road from him who kept on at him and on at him. So he's took that on. So now he's too busy after being meant to be retired. He took yeah. six months off and now he's full on, you know, too much on and yeah. But he just can't sit still. And I think a lot of lads are like that if they've worked all their life and had their own business and you know, it's very hard to just suddenly stop and say, yeah, I'm going to put the feet up now. It's just, it's not, it's not possible, you know. Well, you've had to stop yourself, but that's a, that's a whole other story because of the, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a forced retirement at the age of 30. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we'll go back to that. Um, so the Liffey Bar, also, the Liffey Bar and, uh, was, was, and Nicky James, uh, that was a, an, another major landmark in, in, your, in your life. Yeah, I met Nicky in... The, the Liffey Bar, actually, that was the, the pub in Liverpool on Renshaw Street. And we were going past one day and my nan had a, a guest house at the time. She was running a B&B and there was a gang over from Ireland. They said, oh, we're going to this pub called the Liffey. Our, our cousin's playing there today, Nicky James. And nan had heard of Nicky. And I actually 
played on a stage with him when I was like nine or ten the accordion and so he said oh I'd love to go down Sunday afternoon I remember going in I was only 16 and the pub was pumping like um, you know Nicky up there singing uh, Irish songs and uh, whiskey in the jar or something and the whole place was jumping up and down like, my eyes just lit up saying oh my god this is what I want to be doing like loud music and big PA and the whole place rocking and it was only three in the afternoon you know but obviously the lads it was the Grand National weekend so everybody over from Ireland and the pub was packed and you know lads and, and women on the, the lash again from the, the morning after the night before and yeah, that's there and then I said this is what I'm doing this is what I want to be involved in this This, even if it is gigging in a pub for the rest of my life I don't care this looks like serious crack you know I want to be entertaining people and um, you know so it gave me the bug there and then and uh, Nicky was so good to me he, he, he's, he got chatting to him after the gig and he said well I can get you a few gigs here he says you know I won't take anything for her I'll introduce you to the manager and she can give you a go and if she likes you after the first gig she'll give you a load you know they're always looking for new acts because they were running three acts a day in the Liffey they were doing three on a Friday three on a Saturday and four on a Sunday they started at 12 used to do two hour shifts 12 till 2 half two to half four, half five to half seven, and then a nighttime one then as well. So the place was like just musicians, revolving doors, one in, one out, one in, one out. And the uh, place used to be jammed, you know. But um, so from that, there on, I used to, after that night, I think I spoke to Nicky nearly every day, if not every other day, until he died um, last year. I dreamed a dream that we both shared Soon I could see how much we, we became bestest of friends and he got me loads of gigs, became a mentor and became just someone who I, I just relied 100% on. He took me to record my first album, recorded my first ever few songs and he paid for it actually and never looked for it back. And uh, He kind of seen me as a... I mean, Nicky, Nicky was a lot older than me now but to his mum and dad's age but he kind of seen me as a very young brother or a son I suppose in some ways and just he was always looking out for me and always uh, pushing me in the music industry and the music and he knew about it because he was a singer himself and a gig and act himself so um, he brought me over to Ireland then whenever I met my managers at the time James McGarrity and John Farry and he was the one who pushed me to sign the deal with them and um, so yeah all through the Liffey is how I met Nicky and how I got the the bug really for becoming a full-time vegan musician. Is the Liffey Bar still there? It's still there. It's changed hands now, so I don't know if they have music on anymore. Unfortunately, it'll never be the same as it was back in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever. Then. And that, that age group of um, that used to be coming out on a Sunday afternoon, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, that sort of 60 plus, and they'd come in for their afternoon Sunday sips and they'd dance and they'd, you know, just, it was, and back then smoking was allowed, you know, but it was all part of the atmosphere. It was, it was just a dingy Irish pub with packed, you know, and music blasting and people dancing and it just, I don't know, it gives me, it makes me smile every time I think about it anyway. And you eventually ended up playing there yourself? I did two years solid in it. I did 40 gigs a year in it. I did, wow. if, if it wasn't there, I'm, I might play the Friday this week and then I'd be there on Saturday next week and then back to the Friday the following week and then I'd do a Sunday afternoon and used to have a board with the, this coming week's music all by the stage and all the names 
half of them not their real names for tax reasons, you know. <laughs> It'd be, you know, uh, Stevie J or, uh, you know, Jimmy the DJ or, you know, just random. Yeah. It'd be no one's actual real name just for tax reasons. But yeah. uh, but I went under my own name anyway. I, I, can, I can confirm I did pay tax, so. <laughs> and then at the age of 19, uh, you up sticks from Liverpool, moved out of the house, your poor mother in bits, the, 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 the eldest son flying the nest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you moved to Ireland uh, to, to seek your fame and fortune. Yeah, I met I met uh, John Farry yeah. at a concert, a charity concert in Donegal. He persuaded me to, to to come over and have a meeting. So me and Nicky went over and met John and James McGarity, who were on about putting a band on the road at the time and launching a new singer. And kind of was in two minds about it because England was going well and I was earning a good bit of good wage every week, you know, gigging away on my own and doing a lot of traveling and stuff. But um Decided a chance at it anyway. Mum was very upset that I was, you know, the, the eldest son leaving home and was the first one leaving. So, but um, moved to Donegal then for a few years. Nan's friends lived over there, Anne and Jim, and they put me up for a few years and um, paid them the digs. And she looked after me. And uh, first few years were we were playing all the dance halls at the time and uh, very tough start. I was in that that scene, the country scene. It's it's. No matter who you are or you know what age you are, it just it, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of going around radio stations and persuading people to play your new song. And um and we did it all and probably lost a good bit of money as well in the first few years. It was it was you know it was difficult enough, but it but loved it at the same time. Like I was had my, my first ever band and we all got on well and there was late nights and drinking and crack and staying in hotels and meeting ones. And, you know, it was all on the road stuff that, that makes a lot of lads get into the business, you know, and it's a, it was great fun, real good fun at the time. Uh, I mean, late, later on you played to 14,000 people or whatever at the three arena, but when you were starting off in those days, how many would you have in the, in, in the venues? Oh, definitely like way less than a hundred most nights. Like, you remember playing the red cow in Dublin and, Having you know, it was forty people in, and they're saying, "Geez, do we go on or not?" Because if we, if at least if we don't go on, then we can pay the lads half their wage. That was the deal, you know. If if you didn't go on because there wasn't nothing, you just give the lads well there is half the money. If you did go on, you had to pay them the full fee. Then you know, <laughs> um, so we said, "Well, if if we get fifty in." We'll go on. I remember waiting. To, we were meant to be on stage at half ten. It was like ten thirty six, and there was forty eight in. And I said, "Oh, sod it. We'll just go on. We're not waiting for fifty. Like we'll just go on and start the gig." So, which was soul destroying as well because you're just going out and you have to put on a big show. This first time these people have seen you, and you're out jumping around the stage and you know, it was soul destroying. Thinking, "Oh, how much have I lost here tonight?" And oh god, this is and everyone's going to find out. It wasn't about the money. It was more about the embarrassment of people around the scene finding out that there was only did you hear Carter only had less than 50 in last night at the Red Cow <laughs> but yeah I went through all of that yeah. and uh, you know good experience and glad to say I've done it you know but it's not a nice business to start out in definitely not it's so it can be very very tough on a young person for sure but yet you, I mean you have to have the passion and the love to keep going well if you didn't I don't think you'd keep going you'd just say you'd jack it in after three or four months and say listen I've I've lost a bit of money it's soul destroying but you know if you believe in the back of your head you're going to do it then it pushes you on and pushes you on. and to be fair I had a lot of nice people at the gigs coming up saying listen it'll get better just make sure you stick at it now don't 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 give up it's um it takes time you know which it does you can you know unless you have a big hit and it's like instant overnight success it if you're trying to build a career and build up gigs and, and a fan base it takes a long long time and years of hard work really to do it properly you know and speaking of a big hit where did Wagon Wheel uh, come in to the picture? Uh, yeah, so that, that song was recorded by the Old Crow Medicine show years and years ago. And um, my friend Ashling at the time, she she had it on her phone. I remember hearing it. She said, that'd be a good song for you. You know, all the students are singing this in Belfast at the minute. And I said, students singing a country song. She was like, yeah, it's Bob Dylan singing this one. So I said, God, that's really annoying, to be honest. It's a very annoying tune. 
So I anyway, took it in the studio and the rest is history. Recorded a video on Ross Nowler Beach up in Donegal. It was just one of them songs that just released it and it, it was popular at the time. And then we released it again like six months later to the DJs and they played it even more then. And then it started getting played at weddings and nightclubs and coppers were playing it five times a night. And, you know, all these other nightclubs around the country were playing it. And, just couldn't stop it. It was one of them songs that just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, it just, there was no killing it, you know? I suppose it's kind of like, you know, the Galway Girl type song as well. It, it's one of them songs that just has grown and grown and grown. Now, I'm not saying Wagon Wheels is as good as Galway Girl, but it's, it's, it's up there with it. You know, that type of song that just seemed to attract all different ages and people, whenever it came on in a nightclub or at a wedding or a christening or whatever, they would get up and dance, you know. At what point in your career did, did Wagon Wheel come along? Where, where, where you were already established? I was ready, yeah, I was well established at that stage. And, and in the north of Ireland, stuff had started to happen. You know, we started to close doors in venues. And and, um, and then that, that song kicked off and, and it just kind of, the south of Ireland then went, you know, ballistic and started getting offers to appear on the late late and... Uh, the Imelda May show was out at the time and uh, a lot of other different shows on RTE and, and the Rose of Tralee were ringing to come and perform down there, which they, they never had country acts performing down there. So at the time, it was always just Sharon Shannon and it would be, you know, whoever was big at the time. So they, 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 all these festivals then started popping up all over the country, which we'd... Um, We'd done a good few marquees, you know, in the first few years, but then it seemed to be like all these other festivals were looking for us, which didn't never had a country act on before. Um, it was always pop or rock or indie uh, acts that would play them, you know. So it was unusual that they started wanting to book myself. Um, so yeah, we ended up being a festival act for a good few years and playing nearly every town or marquee or carnival or whatever was going on. Uh, nearly every town in Ireland for four or five years. Uh, it, it, like literally, you became a superstar overnight, thanks to to Wagon Wheel. To one song, yeah, yeah. It, it, it really did introduce me to so many people that wouldn't have known of me before. It, do you know what I mean? So, um, and I was just again right place, right time. You know, I didn't write the song, so you know, I literally just recorded it at the right time, and people liked my version of it. So, it. I mean, Darius Rucker actually had a hit after I'd released it here. He had a hit six months or nine months later in America with 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 the same song, you know. So um, it's mad if that, if if I hadn't recorded, it, maybe he would have had a big hit here, or maybe if he hadn't recorded it, maybe I would have had a big hit over there. Who knows? Um, but either way, it's 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 a great song, and and it just proves a great song. No matter who sings it, is a great song, you know. So now you're going to be whether you like it or not, stuck with it forever. So do you like it? Uh, it wouldn't be my favorite song, that's for sure. <laughs> I, like, if I was going to sing a song at a gig or a, at a, you know, sitting at a session, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, "Oh, I can't wait to sing Wagon Wheel here." You know, it, it would always be, "Oh, I'll sing that one." Then, yeah, go on. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's a good song, and I I totally get the appeal, and and like literally, from kids to grannies and granddads, they know the chorus and they can easily sing along. So that's why it's it's very, you know, it's an easy song to pick up. So, but I'm very glad of it. But it, it definitely, to answer your question, it wouldn't be the one I'd sing at a session, no. Yeah, but it, it's definitely your calling card. It's the one everyone wants wants to see, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, it probably was instrumental in taking you all the way to the uh, Three Arena and all the other major events in your life since since then as well. Without a doubt, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a song that's introduced me to so many people, and uh, you know, Peter Aiken got involved. Then, whenever I was about six years on the road, and he he started. Um, I actually played for MCD first. I played for a few nights in the Olympia, and then he got involved, and he said, "Oh, I wouldn't mind doing a few gigs with you in, in the board gosh, and then live at the Marquee, and then we did a few nights in Vicar Street, and then it led on to." Um, a few other gigs around Dublin we did uh, 
an outdoor festival in Dublin. And then eventually he said, I think it's time, let's do the three arena. So we did that twice and we did the SSE arena twice as well in Belfast. And we filmed one, the, the three arena one, and that, that went on to be shown on RTE and, and on Sky Arts and on um, Scottish TV and on PBS TV in America then as well. So yeah, it's it's just been a a whirlwind and stuff that happens that then leads to something else that leads to something else and that's the way it's 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 gone on and gone on over the last 10 years Singing for the Pope at Croke Park That was another one which is definitely up there with the best of them um, I remember standing at the side of the stage and Andrew Bocelli beside me and his lovely wife she was holding his hand and guiding him on and me I'd just been on before him and me thinking this is crazy shit like this is different level gravy here you know um, Andrew Bocelli, you know, and uh, there was myself and Riverdance had been on and Daniel had been on and uh, Sean Keane had done a nice piece and uh, it's just a great show and to, to be part of that was, and again, something I never really thought I'd be a part of, but I was delighted. It was just a great experience. And to go from the, the Liffey Bar to Croke Park to the Three Arena, you had your own TV show and RTE. It's an, it's, it's an amazing journey as to say it has it's been great you know and the tv show actually is something i forget about all the time but some of the acts that i got to sing along with was just amazing from the lads from westlife and as i mentioned before mel c from the spice girls billy ocean and paul carrick and uh, just legends that i never really would have assumed to be doing duets with you know i'm very lucky that they agreed because it'd be like me now going over to say germany and they're saying, oh, we've got a guy in Germany that has a TV show and he wants to sing with you. Well, generally, when a singer hears that, oh, there's a singer who wants you go, oh, God, what's this going to be like, you know? So they had the faith in me to say, yeah, sure, you can sing my song and I'll, I'll duet with you, you know, because that must be nerve-wracking. I know I'd be nervous. Like, so to think that they all just said yes is is kind of cool, you know? And then we used a lot of the Irish acts as well that would have known me anyway, like Mary Black and Brian Kennedy and... and uh, uh, Imelda May and all um, you know the great uh, Finbar Fury and all the great folk singers as well were on the show so that was something that I'll always treasure and, and be glad that that came along was the TV show and when you sit here today and, and look back on all of that uh, how, how do you feel you know, what you've achieved um yeah, you know, you don't, I suppose a lot of people say it at the time but you never stop and take stock and look at what's going on at the time you only and you sit back and think, oh God, we did that and that was that was some achievements and that was great and that was really good fun. That wasn't so good that bit. And then, you know, but you don't think it at the time. It's just so quick and everything's happened at a massive fast pace that you don't take it all in. So yeah, I mean, looking back now, it's, it's been a great 10 years and um, I suppose the last, the last year and a bit has, has, has been given more time than ever to actually look, look back at it, you know, so... Um, and if one thing it's made me realise is that I do miss the music a lot when I'm not doing it I need to be doing it just for my own mental health and to keep keep sane it's been a part of my life since I was a kid and, and when I stop I definitely get a bit down so I need to keep doing music all the time to keep keep me keep me good you know and keep me right and did that happen to you right through the last 12, 13 months or whatever 14 months definitely yeah. I've had really good weeks and really bad weeks and I've seen a lot of sides to myself that I'd never seen before whenever I was so busy it just you know whenever you whenever you do stop um, any issues hit you like a train because you're not used to you know having the time to sit and think about it so um, so yeah I mean I, I wouldn't be uh, lying if I didn't say I've had bad weeks and good weeks so um, but you know I think exercise has helped me um, getting back into writing and recording in the studio has helped me tremendously, um, but it just I, I just wasn't used to it, you know. And it, it, whenever something it, your life revolves around something that much, like literally eighty ninety percent of my life has revolved around music, gigging, interviews, recording, um, and then just the same all again. You do the same thing every week, and then literally that all stops overnight. You, and you don't have a purpose anymore to get up and to do them things. It's been very difficult. And I, I've spoken to a few people. I listened to um, Niall Breslin's podcast actually on on um, mental health and the, the challenges that musicians and artists have faced since not doing what they were doing. And um, 
thankfully I've realised I'm not on my own. There's a lot of other musicians out there that have struggled with the whole lockdown and, and, and with not gigging and not feeling like they've got a purpose anymore, you know? Um, so that, that was good um, to listen to stuff like that. And, um, you know, as I say, good weeks and bad weeks. And thankfully I'm having a, a good week the last few weeks and everything's going good. So Because you live on your own, you're on your own basically most, most of the time. Yeah, like 80% of the time it would be, yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously my brother Jake and Karen, they would be here sometimes. And I have friends generally call around at the weekends and um, I've, I've, I've had to find things of doing in the meantime to keep me busy. I, I built a, a big, I don't know what you'd call it, man cave in the garden. It's like a little cottage that um, originally was going to be a recording studio and it's st- still kind of, I can record from it, but it ended up being a, I'll just call it a man cave. There's, there's, um, it's definitely a bar and it, put it that way, and a stove and a stage and a big PA system. So uh, that that gets used maybe once a week uh, and, and a few beers cracked open and uh, a bit of crack, you know. But um, but it's been good to do that. Like that was a huge project and that took me three or four months with dad, which was a good male bonding, as my mum says, uh, time with him. And we, we both built it really with our own hands, you know, which was... A good experience as well. Uh, but are, are, are you kind of happy in your own company? Are you content in your own company? Or, you know, would you like to have somebody in your life? Um, yeah, definitely. I'd love to be able to, to settle down up ahead and, and um, I'd love to have kids for sure. You know, I'd love to see little little kids running about the place. Um, but for me, I've missed the music and the gigging that much that I don't think I'm ready for it just yet either. You know, I, I want to get back to where I was with with gigging and music and I've missed that tremendously that um, that's going to be my focus now whenever hopefully everybody gets their vaccines venues open up again and we can go hell for leather at it over the next 18 months and try and get back to because there was so many gigs that I'd sold literally sold out you know two nights in Aberdeen Glasgow Concert Hall and uh, the Liverpool Philharmonic we had a gig there which got moved three times the London Palladium was booked and all these tickets are sold, but we need to get back to do them gigs. So I'm looking, that's my next mission is to get doing that again. Try and get the music, hopefully not, obviously I'm not going to control the music industry, but hopefully the music industry gets back at some sort of level where it can, people can start earning a living again, whether it be sound guys, lighting guys, crew, techs, and obviously musicians and singers, we can get back to earning a living. And then worry about the personal life up ahead, up ahead after that, once we get back to some sort of uh, normality. Yeah, because it, 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 it's such a tough business, isn't it? And you wouldn't have probably have been able to have a successful personal life in, in the last 10 years. Your life was just so crazy. Um, but st- I would have thought that, uh, or assumed that s- stopping and reflecting might have kind of concentrated the mind more on the on let's get the personal side sorted out. But you, you don't you're 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 content at the moment. Yeah, I mean I suppose it's different for now I'll probably sound very sexist saying this, but it's probably different for women and, and men. You know, if, if women who are at the age of my age 30, they're probably if they haven't had, they're probably gonna be thinking kids and marriage needs to happen, you know, within the next few years. Whereas me, I kind of think, well, I still think I'm 21 in my own head, even though I am 30 now. But um but yeah, I mean, I I miss it so much, you know, and I never realised I would miss the road and gigging and music and just the, the buzz you get from performing. Like, a, I've never done drugs in my life, so the stage is my only drug and it's, it's I get so much from it, you know, um, that I, I missed it so much. Good time, girls, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight, come out tonight. Good time, girls, won't you come out tonight? We'll dance by the light of the moon. And you've never been a one-night stand sort of guy. That's not the sort of fella you are. Not really, no. You know, I'm sure people get a might have an opinion on singers who, who are in towns. You know, what do they used to say about the sailor? A girl in every port and a girl in every town for the, the, the whatever. But no, I've not been that sort of guy, you know. And I'd like to think I'm, I never will be, you know. I kind of hopefully got a bit more respect for, you know, for, for people than, than that. You know, there's a there's a rule of no no women on the tour bus, and you know if you're 
uh, if you're not on the tour bus on time, if you're staying out, then you find your own way to the gig. You know, the bus moves at time. We have rules on on really on the road, and thankfully everybody sticks to them. You know. Well, your nan is on the road. She keep you in in check. In check. <laughs> That's the other thing as well. <laughs> we would get we would all get our asses kicked on the tour bus by my nan. Your nan, uh, she's just a force of nature, isn't she? She all the fans know her because she's she's what she's eighty. How old is she now? She's eighty one now. She turned eighty one a couple of months ago in March. Yeah. And up until up until lockdown, she was on the road with you. She would she could be found selling her merchandise at the merchandise stand. Uh, yeah, most nights uh, she would have been selling the merchandise in the UK or not necessarily in Ireland all the time, but she would have done all England, Scotland gigs and and a lot of the Irish stuff in the summer. But yeah, she she lives for that, like meeting the fans and should they know her as much as they know me? So she's, you know, like a little celebrity in her own right and uh, she loves it and she's a, she's a, the female equivalent of Del Boy. So she loves wheeling, dealing and doing deals with people on merchandise and stuff and uh, she's missed it more than I've missed it. I think even, you know, she, she's mad to get going again. We have a gig in Manchester in July and she rings me every couple of days and that's all she talks about. The gig's still happening, yeah. 23rd, Manchester, we can't wait. Yeah. I've ordered CDs, I've got new stock coming and you know, it just ends up being a conversation. I rang her up to see how her day's getting on and how my granddad is and she just ends up talking about merchandise for 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> give it a break, man, you know. And she's a rock and roll character. She, she, she's the last of bed, isn't she? And she likes is, good yeah, old g yeah. I did um, fill in for Hugo Duncan there recently on BBC Radio Wilson. They did a week of radio presenting and um, she... She rang me on the Sunday saying she was calling to next door because they'd just been allowed six people in a garden or two houses or whatever it oh, was. Yeah. Uh, but next door to her now, there's a guy called Chris Murphy who's originally from over here and uh, he's lethal for filling up glasses. You know, you go in, you, you'll have one. Come on, you'll have, it's like the Mrs. Doyle of, of Liverpool. And oh, you go on, we'll have you another will. one. You will, you will, you will. So my nan was drinking rosé wine and of course, it just I spoke to her and I knew she was kind of tipsy at maybe seven or eight o'clock and I says I'm on starting tomorrow morning Monday on Radio Ulster so she says I'll tune in I'll tune in I'll ring you in the morning wish you all the best so anyway driving down the road the next day I'm on the way to Belfast it was about 12 o'clock never heard from Nancy my ring rang it no answer no answer and then did the show no request in from Nan I was like this is really weird so anyway rang mum at like I think it was half I finished at three o'clock rang her at half three did you hear from Nan Nathan, she's absolutely dying. She must have drank two <laughs> bottles of wine. We had to carry her home from next door. Thankfully, it was next door. So she was loaded. But it wasn't her fault. Like, Chris is a nightmare. Like, she literally, you haven't finished. And he's, oh, I'll go and have another one. So she didn't know what she was drinking, you know. But, uh, so she normally has, a, like, three gin and tonics a night rule. That's enough for a gin and tonics. But she doesn't drink wine normally. So yeah, I uh, I took the piss out of her the next day on the radio anyway. And says, there's me nan, 81. Two bottles of wine in, didn't wake up. She missed the show. But anyway, she's listening today. So this was on the, the Tuesday, you know, she had the show then. So, but yeah, rock and roll at 81, still doing two bottles of wine a night. Like, <laughs> didn't she get you thrown out of a hotel in Scotland one time for being? Oh, we did. Yeah. She, she decided that because all the pubs had closed in the town, some of the pubs in Scotland, you know, on a weekday, they would only, they would close at half 10, 11. It's not like Ireland, you know. Um, they have strict licensing laws over there so anyway we got back to the hotel at maybe quarter to eleven and Nan was like oh, not going to bed are we yet so we're only we're only getting going so she had all back to my room so she she was sharing with like the girl who was on tour with us at the time I think it was a girl called Lisa Stanley so uh, she was she was a she was a bad influence as well she likes a good <laughs> party does Lisa so the two of them we all ended up back in the room and of course there was noise complaints so the mattress ended up going against the, the door and to, to block, I'm, in my head, this is blocking the sound from next door. You know, there's a door in between two bedrooms and I said, put the mattress there. That'll act as a, of course it didn't. Like there was 12 of us in a little premier in room or travel lodge room. So we ended up getting kicked out of the hotel. Nan was allowed to stay because she was elderly. But at me, I says, listen, I'm the ringleader. I'll leave. It's my fault. So we ended up um, having to, we got kicked out of the hotel and, um, <laughs> Yeah, it ends up in the book, of course, and I know you wrote about that. So yeah, yeah. That was, uh, another story, another experience. 
but she she really was the foundation for 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 your your career. She sold your CDs and everything from day one, yeah. from the, doing the pubs Dro- in England. Dro- drove me to the gigs, then ended up being on tour with us all through the last ten years, selling the CDs and just being a very good rock and a good person throughout it all. You know, and someone that I could always have a conversation with and tell my problems to, or you know, yeah. She always seemed to have the right advice as well at the time. And you did surprise her with a very nice car. Uh, in, in latter years, yeah, she still talks about it now. Yeah, she always wants the Mercedes. She, she, um, for years and years, and I think it, it was about 2016 that I'd had a good year, and I said, you know what, I'm going to treat her to um, to a car. So we got her a C220 Coupe uh, CLK Mercedes. So it was like giving her a million pounds. I think I honestly think the car was better than than money, you know. So um, yeah. She she still got it as well. She won't part with it at all. It's it's probably on its last legs now. It's done about a hundred thousand miles, I think, at this stage. But she still won't get rid of it, you know, because it was a present from so. you, from from the favorite, yeah. from the favorite grand, grand, the grandson. Balls, Gold- <laughs> well, listen, Nathan, where where to from here? Where to from here? Um, well, as I say, can't wait to see venues opening up again. Hopefully, the music industry gets back on track. Hopefully, people go and support their, their local theatres and uh, auditoriums and arenas whenever they eventually get open. Um, but love to have a bit more success in the UK and maybe um, across the water in America. That's always new. Um, I'm writing away. I'm writing a lot of songs. I'm recording a good bit. And, um, who knows? The first 10 years have been super and really good crack and, and a, a totally unexpected things have happened so who knows what the next 10 years has in store for us well hopefully we'll sit down again someday and talk about the next 10 years and, and <laughs> I really <laughs> hope so with no pandemic in the middle of them as well that'd be that'd be great wouldn't it exactly thanks a million Nathan for joining us always a pleasure Eddie thank you so much and good luck with the whole series and, and no doubt it's going to be a huge success This has been My Country Life, a Sunday World podcast. This episode was produced by Ian Malini, and the theme music is Rose Gold Renegades by Jesse Frisell. If you enjoyed this episode, do consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eddie Rowley, and this is My Country Life.